0: morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Last week, I was in uh, Oswego, preaching down Dick Beaumont's church. Um, and uh, the message I'm going to do today is the second half of the message I started last week. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're parallel. And the reason that they're, they're parallel is uh, because we have an opportunity coming up to partner with them. To help their church grow in that in that area, we'll be giving you some more details coming up. But basically, we're going to be helping them with some evening services a couple times a month. Um, we'll give you some more details as it uh, as we finalize them. But it's going to be towards the end of May is when that's going to begin. Um, <clears throat> now, before I get started today, I want to do one thing that uh, I think is important. Um, forgive me if this is not coffee. This is uh, hot water with lemon and honey in it, because apparently I took up smoking over the last week. Uh, so I need to be able to talk through the whole message. Um, so I want to do something but before I get started. This actually isn't part of the message, but over the course of the week, uh, this became uh, much more of a burden um, for me. We know that in our world right now, there's a incredible shift. Away from basic morality, incredible shift in in our nation, and it's affecting all the way down to our to our kids as early as kindergarten. And I don't know if you know this, but there was a oh actually most of you probably do know there was a law passed in Florida uh, a little while ago, and it's been it's been dubbed the "Don't Say Gay" bill, which is a complete and total fabrication based on the actual bill. The actual bill is this: that the education system is not allowed to teach sex, sexuality, sexual expression, gender identity for kindergartners through third grade. That's the law. That's all they want. They want parents to be able to be with those children during the formative years of their life. How dare a government give parents the right to educate their children? And so basically, other corporations throughout the state have been pushing really hard against this, and, and literally just lying about it. And one of the things that happened this week is that the Disney Corporation had a creative meeting with their CEO, the director of, of, of creative content, and what came out, uh, the video was recorded by someone on the, on the Zoom call, and then it was released. Not with permission, but it was released. And the goal of the stated goal of Disney right now is to push that agenda to sexualize your children, to bring them what can only be described as biblical immorality using up to 50% of their characters by the end of the year. So in your average Disney Disney movie, half of the characters will be living an immoral lifestyle. Their purpose is to desensitize your children to biblical morality and to make biblical morality the outlier. Suddenly, we're the weird ones, right? And the question gets asked, how do you fight against that? Disney's a giant in the world. Well, there is only one way to fight against it, and it's really simple. Uh, and I say this to you as someone who loves Star Wars, really likes the Marvel movies, um, you know, Mandalorian, Boba Fett. I mean, it's just it's just just some really good stuff. I have deleted my account for Disney Plus, Hulu, wh- whatever it is, for one simple reason: there is not a single show that they have produced or will ever produce that is worth the lives of your children and the children to come. Nothing. So. I want to encourage you to not... And I'm, You guys know me. I'm not telling you what to do. But you're going to see in our message today that inaction in the face of sin is sin itself. It really is. And that which we don't stand against, we endorse. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it, I think, the best. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And so silence is not acceptable in the face of stuff like this. It really isn't, folks. Um, I want to encourage you to delete your account. I encourage you to to delete it vocally. To delete it loudly. To let Disney know. To let your Facebook friends know why you're doing it. Put it out there because Disney does not care until they lose money. Then suddenly they will care. There are tens of millions of people around the country that are doing this right now. I want to encourage you to join, join on that. I've never encouraged you to boycott anything. But this has to stop. It has to stop. Because we're seeing it all over the place, including in our own school district. I brought it up before, it happened again. And people are renaming things and reworking things and trying to find loopholes to put this garbage in front of your kids. And we've gotta, if we don't, if we don't take a stand for the kids, for the next generation, we might as well just stop now and just, just go live our life and forget it. So we've gotta, we've, we've gotta, we've gotta take a stand for biblical morality and family values. So, uh, that is completely d- disconnected from my message today. So I want to get into, uh, the topic today. The topic for today's message is, what's my job? And one of the things that we've been doing over the, the course of the last few years is doing, is, is, you've heard me say this a, a dozen times at least, uh, even just this year, is that we need to find our place in the kingdom of God. Not just me, not just the elders, not the people around. Everybody in the church needs to find their place in the kingdom of God. Who you are, the gift you have, how to how to apply it, how to use it, um, how to how to lead people to the Lord. This it's so important for us to be active as a church and not just passive as a church. But the problem is, there's a lot of us that don't actually know what to do. We don't, you know, we've been trained over the, over the, over the, honestly, centuries now that the church has a process to it. We come to church, we sit down, we hear a message, we go home, we try to be good people. Right? That's, that's what Christianity is. No, it's not even close to what Christianity is. That's the least of it. The truth is we are the church. This is, the building is not the church. If this building burns down tomorrow, it's not going to make a bit of difference because the building is not the church. The building is a building. I'll meet in a barn. I don't care. Well, okay. A, a clean barn. Uh, okay, a really clean barn <laughs> that has been redone. Anyway, um. <laughs> so you think about this, you think about the first century church. During the expansion of the first century church, Christians lived a very, very, very different life than, than we see today in the church. Um, the term Christian we use today like it's been around forever. It actually isn't. It's not even the first name of the followers of Christ. First name was the way. Um, more commonly, we were referred to as the Ecclesia. That's the Greek word, and it means uh, the community. It means the separated ones. It means those called out. So we were the Ecclesia of God. And people, you'll hear this, uh, a lot of people say, we need to get back to that first century church. Well, uh, we forget that the first century church failed for a lot of reasons. One of them is they tried Christian socialism. <laughs> that didn't work. Because it never works. But what ended up happening is in the church in Antioch is where the term Christian was coined and it really was initially pronounced Christian. Which meant one who follows after Christ. But what was happening is people were, people were meeting in these small houses all over the place and the apostles and the leaders would, would, would try to meet with as many people. This was an everyday thing, not just a Sunday thing or a Saturday thing, however you want to look at it, depending on history. But it was a faith was an everyday thing. Daily they taught. Daily they taught. Imagine coming to church every day. Personally, I think it would be cool. It was just part of their life. But what ended up happening is, just like it does in any living move of God, people started getting saved in big numbers, and the little houses didn't work anymore. And so once Christianity got to the point where you weren't killed for being a Christian, they started building formalized structures. They would actually build a building that everyone could be in. That's a good thing, right? Can you imagine having a a home that your your family can't come visit you in? We were going to come over with the kids. Nope, you can't. You can't. You can come over with the kids. That might actually be something you want to do right now. Maybe it's just, you know, you can come over, the rest of your family is going to stay there and forget about Thanksgiving. So basically what ended up happening is formalized structures of leadership and formalized facilities began to emerge around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to make sure that I'm really plain here. There is nothing wrong with a big church. A big church is not bad and a small church is not better. You can have really bad small churches and you can have really amazing big churches and vice versa. The size of the church and the number of people who attend it are irrelevant. The question is, how is that church structured and what is the activity of the people in it? Because you can have a large group of people who are just engaged and you can have a large group of people that are so disengaged, it's almost laughable. But that's the that's the question. It's not the size of the church. It's the structure of the church. Now, as New Testament Christians living in the 21st century, most of us have grown up in a church that's structured very, very simple. Pastors at the top, then your elders, then your deacons, and then small group leaders, and it's, it's, it's called a top-down system. And what it gets, what ends up happening is it gets looked at as a ladder to climb. You know, if you're in the church long enough and you do well enough, you move up a rung. Oh, you know what? You've been, you've been a deacon long enough. Ooh, now you're in a, boy, you're really moving up now. You're an elder. Wow. Man, it's amazing. Once you get to elder, oh, you know what? You know what's next? The big show. The pastor. Then you've made it. Then you know everything, whether you do or not. And we think that that's the structure that ministry has, but unfortunately, it's partially true, but honestly, mostly wrong. Uh, we could say it this way. Independent fact checkers have reviewed this and see it as mostly wrong. Okay. <laughs> The church is an expanded view of the family of, God, of the family, the household of God. The family structure, the independent family structure, mom, dad, kids, is the same structure that God intends for His church. It's the same. Now if you look at that, you have, what does the Bible tell us about dads? They're the priest of the house. They're the one responsible before the Lord. For what happens under the house. That's why they have the response, they have the authority they have in the house. It's got nothing to do with their overwhelming awesomeness. It's that they're the ones that have to give an account. Remember, when, when Adam said, uh, it was the woman you gave me. God said, nice try. See, he was still responsible before God. That's why the husband has the authority. It's not who they are. It's what they're accountable for. You see, authority follow in the kingdom of God, authority follows responsibility, not ability. That needs to be made clear. Just because you have the authority does not mean you're tooled for it the whole time. Sometimes you're extremely untooled for it, and that's the point. God puts you in that place so that you'd seek him, and he gives you the authority that goes along with the responsibility. It's important for us to understand that. But in the structure of the household, I mean, you think about this, it really is dad and mom working together for the good of the children, right? Isn't that how that works? And here's the thing, a husband that ignores the advice of his wife is as doomed as a pastor ignores the advice of his elders. It's just as idiotic. God created the woman as a help mate, as a equal co-partner. So they work together. There can only be one decision maker. It has to be that way because responsibility is doled out that way. So God planned it this way, but the parents work together for the good of the children It's not the other way around. Your kids don't work for the good of you. How many of you send your kids off and expect them to come home with a paycheck so that you can live a nice, comfortable life? Some of you are like, hmm, I could buy 400 sewing machines. Get a contract with Gap. You know, it's good. Anyway, moving right along. Um, See, but that's not how it works, is it? You... Spend 20 years of your life, hopefully it's just 20, (laughs) preparing them, sacrificing for them, working with them, building them, preparing them for the life that's to come, for the next step of their development. Parents are the servants of the children, not the other way around. Now, to do it right, obviously, you've got to have rules, you've got chores, you've got expectations, you've got, you've, got, you've got to manage this thing. But it's not for your benefit, it's for theirs. Now, flip that over to the church. When you look at the church, well, let me, let me, let me, let me back up, I've got one scripture for you here. Uh, Romans 5.2, Paul says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Why was Adam, go back to Genesis, who ate first, Eve or Adam? Eve. Now I want to put something forward to you. We think the eating of the fruit was the first sin. I want to give you a a thought that there is a good possibility that Adam's sin was his inaction to the role that God had given him as a husband. He refused to do what God placed in he, he, he refused to take care of what God had placed in his hands. He let it happen. The Bible tells us he was right there. He did not protect his wife. Part of me wonders if he's like, "I wonder what's going to happen. I got more ribs. God can make another one." <laughs> hey, look, she didn't die. Maybe I'll try one." And then he tried to blame it on the person he was supposed to protect. See, that doesn't work, does it? It's a horrible idea. we gotta, we got to live up to what God has given us. Now, when we the way we go wrong within church ministry is how we view the ministry. We think that the pastors and the elders and the leadership of the church are the ones that do the ministry. There's a very common message in the modern church that, that when you come to church to support the work of the ministry... And if you're there long enough and if you do enough, you can become part of the work of the ministry. I used to believe this when I was a young Christian because that's what I was taught. You come to church to pool your resources to support the ministry of the men and women of God. I found out very quickly, what a bunch of hogwash. That's not how it works. Jesus was God and he could work with 12. How many do you think I can work? You know, all five foot two and a half of me. Two and three quarters, seven eighths. something along those lines. <clears throat> I used to know my height in centimeters because it was sounded way more impressive. <sighs> it's really not. <laughs> a husband or a father that does everything for his wife and his kid is not only going to burn out, but they're actually not very good at what they're doing. They're setting their family up for failure parents make the mistake of doing everything for their kids or sheltering them from the reality of the world around them, you're not preparing your child. You're creating a problem for them, and it's a big problem. The role of the husband and the father is to guide his family in, a path, in the path of Christ while partnering with his wife to raise the children who are confident, competent, and useful members of society in the church that's the role of the husband and the father. The role of the husband and the father is not necessarily to provide a house and an income. Those are good, but if that's your focus, your focus is wrong. Your primary focus has to be on the relationship in your home and the heart and the future and the and the the the, the, the godly well-being of your children. The rest of it is secondary. Cuz you can have a big house, little house, two story, three story, no story, tent, camper, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're standing before God in heaven and your children are not with you. One will last, one doesn't. Think about this. When we do everything for our kids and we don't allow them to experience the world around us while they're still safe at home and under your care, you're making sure that when the time comes for them to stand on their own, they can't. One of the things that you can you, you find out is that every year on college campuses across the world, freshmen come into that college, come into the dorms. They have no idea how to wash a load of clothes because mom gave them a quick lesson before they left. I remember when I was going through 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 culinary school, I came down to do a load of laundry and all you could smell was burnt something. This was about a month into the into the into the school year. I, I come down. I'm looking in the laundry room, and there's this kid sitting on the on the floor crying. I need to call my mom. I need to call my mom. He ended up uh, uh, there was no cell phones. He had to go over to the payphone that was attached to the wall, had a little cord on it. It was right next to the laundry room. He's talking to his mom. I'm doing laundry, and I had it took me everything I could not to laugh. It really did because he was like, "I'm just doing laundry, and the and the the washing machine caught fire, and all my clothes are burnt." Now, I can guess what the question the mom asked. How much of your clothes were in the washer? And his answer was, all of them! (laughs) Every stitch of clothes this kid owned, other than what was on his body, was in that washing machine. It wasn't an industrial machine. It's one of the top-load home ones. You know? Put in five towels, call it a day. No. That thing was jam-packed to the top because he was going to get his dollar twenty-five worth. It's <laughs> most expensive dollar twenty-five he had ever spent. You got kids that can't balance a checkbook. Some kids don't even know checkbooks exist. I talked to a kid. He's like, "Yeah, great. I got a debit card. Oh, so that's really great." So did you? You know, where are you going to order your checks from? He goes, "No, no, no. I don't. I don't have a checking account. I have a debit card." <laughs> oh dear God, really? The worst part is the kid's parent probably went down to the bank with them. I'm like, they didn't give you a, a a temporary checkbook? It was, oh, they gave me something in a little binder thingy. Those are called checks. You mail them to people and you write the, the money on them. Oh wow. He didn't know how to fill out a check. Where do you, where do you put this stuff? Why is the line for the amount so long? That's because you write it out using words. You can, you can spell numbers. Works just fine. It's okay. You got kids who have no idea how to change their oil. They have no idea how to check the oil. They don't, they don't know, they don't know if their car takes oil. No, no, mine uses gas. Oh. That's really good. You should never drive ever. Your tire's flat, only on the bottom. I watched a girl once trying to put air in her tires. She was scared to scared to death of the hose. This was before they had the automated ones. You actually had to pull the handle. Her tire was flat. She put the little little, little nozzle on there and she squeezed the handle and she's like, ah! Like, how far do I let it come up? Like, do you have a pressure gauge? A a what? I got this little thing you put on it and it pops out and there's numbers on it. Never mind. Never mind. Just go away. I'll do it for you. (laughs) These are people who are going to be leading our country at some point in time. They're going to be making policy decisions. They're going to be teaching the next generation of kids. They can't fold a shirt. They were in culinary school. We had white jackets and they had to be very, very tightly ironed. You needed to have You needed to have creases on them. They had to run down the front of the pocket. They needed to be straight. And I got to tell you, the first couple of months, they sold a lot of chef coats. A lot of chef coats. There would be a crease and half an iron. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. I could hem pants when I went to culinary school. I made a killing. Other kids... You staples. You'd see him in class. Oh, jeez, what's wrong? Oh, a staple got me. A staple? Yeah, yeah, I had my pants. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's unbelievable. And what you end up with are social consumers that want everything handed to them and they shouldn't have to work for it. They have no concept of personal responsibility. They have no concept of self-worth. But they think they're the cat's meow. They want a participation trophy for showing up. Flip that over to ministry. When the ministry only happens within the four walls of the church, the pastor will not only burn out, but the church will become a collection of religious consumers who, know, who, who do not know how to stand on the truth of God for themselves. When the ministry only happens in the four walls of the church, you have a problem. Because 99% of the ministry should not happen inside the four walls of the church. It should be out there. It should be out there to the people you're connecting with. You know who's here predominantly? Christians. Christians. You think about this, how many people do you know that are not looking for a church where they can serve and be challenged and grow in their faith? Instead, they're looking for a church that will, is ready to provide everything they think they deserve out of a church. I'd come to this church, I've heard this, by the way, I'd come to this church, but I don't think there's enough volunteers in your kids program, and I got, I got a bunch of kids, I know an easy way to add two. (laughs) Not just the wife, but there's someone else who made that baby. He did. Yeah, dad, you can help in kids' church too. Wouldn't it be horrible if children learn the word of God from men at an early age? See, the worship should sound like a concert. The kids' program is supposed to be staffed by... Master's degree holders in early childhood development and education. And of course, they should never be asked to volunteer because they're busy. Okay. I can safely say that is not this church. (laughs) Okay? I can safely say that. Because I'm after you, I'm here to get you. I'm here to get you involved. I'm here to get you doing something other than listening to me because as cool as I am, I'm not that cool. My coolness tops off just below 5'3". Because of this happening, when when secular society comes pushing, they come pushing those ungodly ideas about marriage and sexuality. You know what happens to a lot of Christians? They fold like a wet paper towel. Because they don't know how to defend themselves. They don't know how to stand on the truth of God's word. They don't know how to stand on the principles of God. They have faith, but it's not a saving faith. One of the promises that the word of God makes for us is at the end there will only be a remnant. There will only be a remnant. A remnant means a tiny piece of what used to be the whole. We're not talking about just a few Christians left. We're talking about a giant group of people who call themselves Christians, but only a small group actually are. God promises us that that's going to happen in the end. There's a whole lot of people who think we're moving towards the end. That would scare the snot out of me. Because we've got to do something. Now think about this. Ephesians 4.11 says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. When we read this, I hear a lot of people talk about this. I've heard a lot of messages on this. And this is what I believed when I first became a Christian. That God has selected a certain group of people to be the elite, and the rest of us are here to support and encourage the great and mighty men men and women of God. You got these people who are held up as superstars. Wouldn't it be great to be like them that almost sounds true until you read the rest of the passage you hear me say this a lot ten above ten below i want to read you this entire chapter that this is in the middle of and i want you to listen to the way they describe the people who serve the lord paul says therefore the prisoner of the lord as a prisoner of the lord i beseech you to walk listen to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Remember, Paul's speaking to the entire church. He's speaking to the entire church, not just a small group. To the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is only one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Given to who? Each one of us, all of us, anyone who takes the name Christian. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself, talking about Jesus himself, capital H, he himself gave some, some isn't the whole, some is a group within the whole. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Stop right there. What is the role of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers? Are they above or are they the support structure underneath? They're the support structure underneath. They're not elevated above anyone. They're actually below. They are the ones to equip the people who will actually do the ministry. To reach people who are lost in sin with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what those positions are there for. So when someone says, I have finally elevated to the position of apostle. I know that they have no clue what an apostle is. They haven't got a ounce of faith sense in their body. They have created themselves like Jesus. They have lifted themselves up. And God tells us one thing about people who raise themselves up. He will bring them down in his own time. I don't have to do it. I don't have to worry about it. He'll take care of it himself. Shall we all come to come to the unity, the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God? Excuse me. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed through and fro and carried about on every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking in the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined knit together by every joint supplies according to the effectiveness of the effective working. Listen, by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How does the body of Christ grow when all of the parts that's us, that's all of us are doing what we should be doing? I've been here for 16 years. I've been a Christian for 28 years. I've been teaching the Bible for 26 or 7 of those years, which I started way too early, by the way. Way too early. I have known people my whole Christian life who have spent their whole life in the church, who have no concept of how to minister the gospel to someone who's lost. They have no idea what the components of the gospel are. I have this conversation all the time. I ask people to tell me what makes up the gospel. You know what almost everyone misses? Almost everyone. Repentance. How do you miss repentance? Because we're not taught. We're taught the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins. We forget the part that we have to admit our sin and repent. It's important. Some have it in their mind that these positions are attained as we get higher up the ladder of success in the church. But in reality, if you want these positions, you have to dig down deep below everybody else. And be willing to serve them in the mightiest way you can. In whichever way God calls you to. These people are here to equip you. They are not above you. And that's because the ministry of the gospel is bigger than the local church. The ministry of the gospel is much bigger than this platform. The ministry of the gospel is bigger than anything I can do if I spent 24-7 just ministering, teaching, preaching. I still would be pathetically behind the curve in what the world needs in the gospel. Gospel's bigger than the leadership of the church. The gospel is the body of the church out in the community, talking to people about Christ. Those of us in leadership here in the church, we are here for you. We're here to teach you. We're here to train you. We're here to partner with you in the calling that God has on your life. Not to tell you how to do it, but maybe through some wisdom, through some experience, we can help you avoid some pitfalls and find success that maybe you didn't know you could find. Our goal is not to convince you to bring all your non-Christian friends to church on Sunday so we can convert them, although that can't happen. Our goal is to grow each and every one of you into strong, knowledgeable, scripturally competent, committed followers of Christ so that you can lead your friends and relatives to the saving knowledge of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. You got the the Great Commission in Matthew 28. This is from the NRAT uh, translation, which stands for not really a Translation. And then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and bring people to church, especially on the big holidays, and make sure that they say the sinner's prayer. Teach them to be relatively good people who only swear on occasion. Is that what that says? Is that the great commission that Jesus gives to us? Is that the last thing our Lord said before he ascended into heaven? No. No. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did Jesus say, Go and make churchgoers? Keep in mind, we're in church and I'm a pastor. Did Jesus say, Go and make churchgoers? No. No. Because the church didn't exist. Did he say go and get people to say the sinner's prayer? No, because the sinner's prayer doesn't save anybody. I knew a whole lot of people through my life who said the sinner's prayer here. And we're still sinners out there. It didn't change anything inside of them. Just made him feel good for a couple of minutes. The sinner's prayer is powerless to an unrepentant heart. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, I want you to think about something. Who's Jesus talking to? The disciples. He says, I'm giving you the, I'm giving you the authority to go out into the world and do for others what I have done for you. First and foremost, introduce them to the father through repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And then teach them to follow the teachings that I am giving you. Baptize them, immerse them. In all the things of God. Teach them to obey all the things that we've been talking about. Do this for all the other people. And you know what part of that is? Teaching them to teach others. To teach others. To teach others. It's about taking what we know, giving it to someone else, and helping them do it bigger and better and more successfully than we are. You know how you make a great next generation? You serve in a way where you are willing to be forgotten. You give everything you have. And be okay if no one remembers you. I get so sick of hearing pastors talk about their legacy. It literally sickens me. Because their legacy means nothing. When it's about their family name and preserving their family business, which they've called the church. It's got nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with populating heaven. And there are far too many Christians in this world committing the sin of Adam, the sin of silence, the sin of neglect, the sin of knowing the right thing to do and not doing it because it's inconvenient. I had this conversation earlier this week. Yeah, I've thought about canceling Disney Plus. I might after I finish the next series. Pastor, you don't understand Kenobi's coming out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, bless you. May the force be with you and also with you. I mean, it's that kind of thing, you know. (laughs) Are we serious? Because I think that's the question that God is asking us at this point as a church, as a people, as Americans. Are we serious? Listen to this. Return home, you wayward children, says the Lord. For I am your master, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, which is the promised land, by the way. One from this town, two from that family, from whatever, wherever you are scattered. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. You can't guide someone who's not on the trip. Romans 10. How then shall they call on him who they have not not believed? How shall they believe in him who they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace bring glad tidings of good things. Who was Jesus talking to when he said go? Everyone who has the name Christian. Everyone. You're already sent. You might not even know it, but you've already been sent. If there is anyone in your life that knows that you are a Christian, you are on the mission field. Like it or not. The only question is going to be whether or not you're going to do it well <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> that was really funny girl. They're both back there going. <gasps> <laughs> the only question is, you're going to do it well or not do it well. People who are prepared, do it well. People who are not, don't. Listen to this. Second Timothy three sixteen through 4, 5. It says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is, pros- is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for the correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen carefully to this last verse. That the man of God, by the way, you can insert woman of God to there too. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for all good work, for every good work. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and at, uh, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke which means to publicly declare ungodly. Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they they will have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Christian, this is a charge to every single one of us. <laughs> I should have probably told you this. I haven't slept in a couple of days. I don't know why I'm trying to figure it out, but that's probably why I am at the point where, where I am. Like, we like sleep-deprived, George. <laughs> every one of us is living in a country right now that, in as kind a way as I can say it, we're walking through the gates of hell with a smile on our face. We're doing it willingly, and there are churches taking people down with them. You've got pastors all over the country. You've got pastors in our own area teaching ungodly, unbiblical doctrine that's not able to save. And people are eating it up because we are so scripturally ignorant that we don't know what we should or shouldn't engage with we can't do this anymore now I know most of you who are here and what we've what we've taught I know your hearts I know what you're I, I'm not berating anybody I'm talking about the church universal okay but I'm also not setting us aside as some elevated group because we're not There's a whole lot of opportunity in front of us. And there's a whole lot of lost opportunity behind us. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. I hear so many stories from people talking about what's going on in the public schools and parents that are so worried. And then they turn around and they don't show up to school meetings to to, to voice their concern because they hope somebody else will do it better. Well, someone someone else will, will show up, I'm sure. And no one does. Because we don't want to be that person standing up for the difficult things. But folks, if one of us won't stand up, no one will stand up. If you won't do it for your kids, don't expect somebody else to. And don't let anybody else. They're yours. God has placed them in your hands. Do the work that God has placed in front of you. Don't fall for the sin that Adam fell in. The sin of silence. The sin of complacency. The sin of not wanting to get involved. <coughs> That's not the goal. I had a terrible dream a couple of, uh, <laughs> one night when I was asleep, and the uh, the dream was really simple. And I don't share these very often, but I was standing in in the, I was standing in heaven. I was looking around, and I could see all of the people. That I didn't talk to, that I didn't share with, that I cowered back all the people who could have been touched and reached had I just. And the question was the same. Why didn't you care about me enough to tell me about this? And then I woke up, which was awesome. don't be that person. It's time to get out our backbone and see what it can do. Amen? Well, we'll end on a high note. Yay. That's awesome. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we know the challenges that lie before us. We know the difficulty coming in the days ahead. Father, please don't allow your Holy Spirit... To allow us to get complacent. To allow us to push things down the road and just hope they go away. But bring a spirit of bravery into each of us. That we would righteously and rightfully stand up for what you want us to stand up for. No matter the consequences that we would be pleasing to you in your eyes and useful to you while we're here on this earth for your gospel message. Father, help us to direct people to you with a passion. Help us to minister your word without apology. And help us to live our life according to your values, your standards that you've given us in your word. Grant us peace as we walk in your ways. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.